Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Ad Week podcast where we talk about advertising, marketing, media, pop culture, technology, because in the end, everything's an ad for something else. I'm David Greiner. I'm an editor with adweek.com. And with me, as always, is Tim Nutt, our creative editor. Tim, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Excited to welcome back Stephanie Patrick, our digital executive editor. Steph, how are you doing today? I'm doing great today. It's great to be here. Well, good. Welcome back to the podcast. And also coming back to the podcast, uh, he's been on pretty recently, so you probably recognize Jason Lynch, our staff writer covering the TV industry. Jason, thanks for joining us. Hey, good to be back. We have got uh, quite a bit to talk about. I feel like we were just here because we just recorded a special episode for the uh, Super Bowl. Uh, so if you have not heard that one yet, I recommend you go back. Uh, that's got most of our takeaways on all the biggest best and worst and weirdest ads, but we will be talking about a few of them again uh, today. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun uh, getting to recap it. And thanks again to Steph, Jason, everybody, the Adweek team really uh, covered the heck out of that Super Bowl. So uh, definitely check out adweek.com. You can still see most of our uh, Super Bowl coverage uh, right up there on the front page. So today on the podcast, uh, we're going to be talking about how Twitter is trying to crack down on bad behavior. Uh, we're also going to look at two big new trailers from Netflix. Uh, we're going to hear about this week's ad worth watching, ads worth watching that Tim always uh keeps track of for us and we're going to close out the super bowl with one last look back at how it all went and what we kind of learned from the experience this year but first the news So uh, this just came out today, just a little bit before we started recording this podcast. Uh, Marty Swant, our tech reporter, has a piece about how Twitter is uh, taking several steps that they just announced to try to make it a, I guess, a safer place to interact with people, a, a bit more friendly. Uh, in other words, they're trying to get rid of a bunch of the trolls that continue to haunt the site. Basically, uh, for anyone who uses Twitter, you know that uh, they can ban someone, you can get rid of somebody, and they will just pop up uh, five seconds later. It's like playing whack-a-mole. It's very easy to create a new account. Uh, one of Twitter's biggest announcement, uh, really with this batch of, of uh, tweaks that they're making, is uh, it, that they are going to be using a bunch of different data, account history, login history, device history, uh, and other uh, kind of pieces of data to figure out who these banned users are and to keep them from opening up new accounts. Uh, so time will tell if it actually works. Uh, but that's definitely a step in the right direction because, you know, it doesn't do much good to ban people if they can just turn around, open up a new account, and you get the sense that uh, people are doing that pretty much on the daily if they're going around uh, issuing death threats and telling people how horrible they are. Uh, so uh, hopefully a move in the right direction. A few other other changes that they're going to make. Um, they're, and these are pretty minor. They're going to be screening out uh, search content that has people that you've banned or muted uh, so you won't be seeing them when you're looking for other stuff. Uh, and uh, they're going to collapse tweets uh, that are potentially abusive and low quality is the way they describe that. So I assume collapse just kind of means that you don't read the tweet unless you actually go out of your way to click it. Uh, that's an interface that you see on sites like Reddit and quite a few others where basically if something hasn't reached a threshold, uh, they don't delete it, but they also don't make it very visible. 
So uh, each of you on the panel are pretty frequent uh, tweeters. Uh, Steph, what's your take on, on these kinds of changes and just kind of the state of Twitter, especially since the 2016 election? Has it been a, a comfortable place for you or, or what do you think of it? <laughs> well, I think <clears throat> I think most of us can attest to the fact that, you know, these days, anytime you tweet something remotely political, uh, you you know your shirt you know the trolls come out of the woodwork um, and uh, I, I'm sure I'm not alone in experiencing that and I think for that reason we're seeing users really pressure these social networks to um, take more social responsibility you know places like Twitter and Facebook have a ton of impact um, you know on uh, on our daily lives and you know obviously we saw Facebook taking steps to combat fake news and I see this as you know somewhat equivalent Twitter taking steps to um, combat irresponsible tweeting and, and trolls um, also you know Twitter has been under a lot of pressure to um, make its platform more user-friendly and increase the number of users it has and I know a lot of people are you know I, I know a lot of regular people not in the media who are intimidated by Twitter and one of the reasons is the vitriol we find there I think you know just people people can get really nasty on Twitter. Um, so I think that this is a step that the company's probably hoping will make it a more welcoming place to be. Jason, we've talked a lot about how Twitter is kind of a is a major, probably I feel like it's the major social platform for television in terms of that real-time engagement that shows want that can help drive people to, especially to live TV or linear TV. I mean, what is kind of the TV industry's take on Twitter right now? It feels like it took a, a darker turn and went from being this plan for avid, this place for avid fans to being this kind of free for all in the last few years. Uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, the TV industry, I think like a lot of people who use Twitter are, are in this period right now of, of trying to figure out um, what exactly is going on with Twitter and Twitter, Twitter needs to figure itself out. My reaction to this morning's news was this was similar to a lot of other people I saw on Twitter this morning, which was how, how were these regulations not already in place? I mean, it just almost seems like a no brainer. Um, I, I do agree that since the, uh, since the election, you know, Twitter and even really during the campaign, Twitter has certainly taken a, a much darker turn. And I think while the industry still has live tweeting just as much as it always did, you know, there is this sense of, of people being a little you know more frightened of the platform than they used to be and if Twitter wants to remain relevant um, in you know in pretty much everything in the industry but certainly on the TV side you know they need to take these steps to make Twitter a more user-friendly place than it's been well hopefully some of these are will make a difference or at least be pointed in the right direction with Twitter they've been so slow and um kind of disinterested in making a lot of product changes. I mean, this goes back a decade now. Twitter has always tried to uh, roll out its product changes very, very achingly slowly, and they really have not kept pace uh, with the problems, uh, especially since Trump kind of made it a new playground for a lot of different folks who, who weren't there a few years ago. I so have a question. Yeah, is, yeah. Is, the, is the president's account, would that be considered abusive and low quality? Would, would that be... Uh you he's, mean also, collapse. He's, he's also a repeat offender, right? So, yeah, I mean, will, I mean, will he be shut down eventually? Do you think that's a? It is a serious uh, kind of occasional thing that people point out is that he does violate uh, several of the the rules, namely the one against personal attacks. Although, I think if you're going to start talking about public figures, uh, just about all of us have have waged some personal attacks against uh, against folks. But he uh, he obviously has gotten much dirtier about it than a lot of folks. Um, and and so that's a that's a criticism that Jack Dorsey w has been hammered with, uh, especially lately. There was a uh, a push by uh, I think his name is Mike Montero, uh, you know, very influential kind of industry guy on Twitter. Uh, but he was really pushing for people to demand that uh, Jack ban um, Donald Trump's account, and they started a hashtag called uh, "Do It Jack," uh, which some of you may have seen. And uh, so, you know, it obviously has not worked yet, and I don't personally think it ever will. Uh, but I, I think it is interesting when they try to, you know, basically call out that one of your most prominent users is also violating your rules uh, left and right. Yeah, he's kind of like setting the tone. The other thing to me is like, how do you police so much of this content? I mean, so much of Twitter is, is you know, negative and and sort of incendiary. You know, when we were covering the Super Bowl over the weekend, I, as Steph said, anything political that you post kind of gets you know jumped on by so many people and of course we're covering the ads so we covered you know several of the uh the ads with sort of left-leaning um inspirations like the audi 
the Audi spot and even the, the 84 lumber ad where, you know, their site crashed. So I posted a tweet saying, well, if you can't get on the site, we've got it embedded over at adweek.com. And that, um, that tweet was sort of deluged with uh, very, very nasty commentary. I'm just wondering how they even manage something that's so sprawling with so many millions of, of you know, potentially abusive tweets a day. Well, and I have to admit, I've been very kind of reluctant to really go through and report people because it's not that it takes all that many steps, but it is a multi-step process to report people. And then you do just kind of assume they're going to pop back up five seconds later anyway. Uh, so maybe this change will kind of make people like, I mean, in the end, Twitter does rely and all social networks rely on the users to kind of report these things. Um, but I, I will tell one happy story while we're on it with Twitter is that uh, we had some user who was really angry on Super Bowl night uh, as a follower of Adweek. And he, was, he was mad about uh, how specifically he was mad about a lot of um, the tweets I was posting, but that they were too long. he said like because i would put like multiple lines in there he would say your paragraph style tweets are cluttering up people's newsfeed if you do not stop i will unfollow you and then later he's like i am unfollowing you adweek for cluttering my and i was just so i even retweeted that at the time and he's since deleted it but i I tweeted it from adweek and just said like sorry we have so much to say about advertising during the super bowl (laughs) but but it was one of those fun moments where you know not to say anyone should pick on the guy but you know does of our readers kind of started firing back at the guy like why are you following ad week on super bowl night and complaining that they have a lot to say they're doing a good job (laughs) (laughs) so it was like one of those moments i was like whoa people saying nice things of course they were saying it to be mean to someone else but still hey i'll take what i can get um Let's talk about uh, another thing that rolled out Super Bowl night uh, and then a little more recently as well. So Netflix obviously had a great Stranger Things season two promotion, a tie in with Ego for those of you who remember the ad uh, that ran during the game. Uh, and then uh, and with the, the news there being that it was uh, season two was coming back uh, Halloween. Uh, and then today we had another new trailer hit from uh, Netflix, which kind of finishes the the quartet of superhero shows uh, that they've got coming up. Tell us about that one first, Jason. What, what, uh, which new trailer just rolled out? Sure. So on uh, Tuesday morning, Netflix uh, d- dropped a new trailer for Marvel's Iron Fist, which is going to be their fourth superhero series. Uh, this one's going to come out on March 17th. And then the idea is after this one, much like they did on the big screen, the stars of their four shows, uh, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist, are going to team up for a, uh, a series called The Defenders. So uh, they, they released the first extended trailer today. And while it was fun, it felt a little bit like the uh, this is like the TV equivalent of the, of the standalone Thor movie where you kind of like have to endure this movie to get to what you really want, which is the Avengers. That's the same thing. Like, I, I'm excited for the Defenders to come on Netflix, less excited for Iron Fist, although I'll certainly watch it. I mean, it is literally the same plot as Arrow, right? Like it is it is. The son, the scion of, or whatever, you know, son of this uh, mega fa- rich corporation. Uh, they go off travel. There's a plane crash. He's trapped on, I assume, an island or a mountain of some kind. He learns kung fu. He comes back to reclaim the company. I mean, the trailer, like, I, I like Iron Fist as a character, but that trailer was just like, do you like Arrow? Season one, <laughs> then you will like you will like Iron Fist. Uh, I mean, so the, I get the sense from you there's not a lot of anticipation for this one compared to uh, some of the earlier uh, shows in that in that quartet. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think that Netflix was smart and that they did Daredevil first, and that was certainly the character of these four that people knew the most and were most excited for. Um, but yeah, when you compare this to the anticipation for. Daredevil, Jessica Jones, or Luke Cage, uh, it certainly doesn't rank up at those levels. But again, you know, Entertainment Weekly has already done a a cover for the Defenders. It's almost like people are just, uh, you know, all right, we'll endure this. But, uh, you know, Defenders is the one we're really excited for. Well, tell us about Stranger Things Season 2. So that's coming uh, Halloween. Do we know anything else about it? Uh, yes, we do. So it is coming in Halloween. We know that this uh, season's going to take place a year later, a year after the events of the first one. I believe that brings us to fall 1984, uh, which you can also tell because uh, there was a little bit of footage of, of some of the kids wearing Ghostbusters uniforms, and that movie came out in 1984. Until this this uh, Super Bowl ad came out, the uh, Duffer Brothers, who the, the creators of the show, had been a bit coy about whether we were going to see the return 
return of Eleven, the ego-loving character from season one that everybody loved. And we saw a glimpse of her and, of course, the ego ad itself. So um, we still don't know all that much. But, um, you know, I think this this ad did a terrific job of getting people excited again uh, for, for the show, even though we have to wait until apparently October to see it. Steph, what did you think of that uh, Super Bowl ad for Stranger Things? Well, I have to tell you, I was here in Adweek's war room. We were all watching uh, the ads together, and that ad just completely delighted the room. I mean, everyone was was so excited to see it. So I think it was a crowd pleaser. Um, and, and also, you know, the first question everyone was asking was, was that a paid ad for Ego? And sure enough, it was. So I think it was really a clever and natural partnership for those two. And you have to imagine that, you know, the fact that this this total hit show right out of the gate incorporates, um, you know, sort of this this kind of unexpected brand like Ego. Um, it's an opportunity that really has fallen in Ego's lap. Yeah, and just to clarify, I think they have not confirmed whether they actually paid any money into it, but they were part of the planning of it. So, um, thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, that's that's good to note. Yeah. So, the, and I mean, for all we know, maybe they did. It's just uh, one of those things where they obviously were super excited. They gave us a statement that basically saying, you know, we were so excited to see the way the product was, you know, put into a show as big as Stranger Things. Um, and then the, when the opportunity came around to partner with them on a uh, Super Bowl ad. So for those who didn't see it, it starts off with an old school Ego commercial and then gets all crackly and turns into a creepy Stranger Things. Uh, so, you know, very smart of the brand to lean into that. They had a bunch of tweets that night that were obviously pre-planned around all that. So, yeah, it's, it's a fun tie-in, and I'm sure we will be seeing more Ego than we know what to do with. And, you, you know, Jason <laughs> mentions Ghostbusters. I think it'll be really fun to see what other kind of licensed uh, references they have in that uh you know, in that show and then see how, how fleshed out, like part of me really wants to see, you know, Empire Strikes Back and some of that stuff in the show. So it'll be fun to see uh, what they do. Um, one last bit, and I'm going to need Jason to really walk us through this one uh, because I have to admit the scenario that I've always just kind of taken a step back from, which is Nielsen's total audience measurement, uh, a, and a long running attempt by the measurement company to figure out a way to really look at how uh, audiences are the, the size of audiences both on TV and on digital and across all these new platforms. And they reached a big step this week. So tell us about that and how important this step is, Jason. Uh, sure. Uh, let me uh, take a step back for a second. So I've been writing about this for the past year and a half, this Nielsen's attempt to uh, to roll out this this total audience measurement platform, which will finally, the hope is, once it is rolled out, will um, give networks and, and, and buyers and agencies, you know, finally uh, an apples to apples look at exactly how many people are watching uh TV on on all the various different platforms. You know, right now the the video measurement is very different than than what TV is, which is average audience. So um, they had hoped initially to have this rolled out a year ago, and then uh, the most recent timetable was that they were going to roll out finish the total content ratings portion of it roll out by March first. Then a lot of networks kind of pu publicly spoke out against that and said that, um, you know, it wasn't ready yet. So they've, they've t took a step back and they said, okay, well, March 1st, individual networks, if you want to talk about it, if you want to release your data publicly, you can do that. Uh, so it's been a, it's been a rough, a little bit of rough going for Nielsen. They got some good news uh, this week from the uh, Media Rating Council, which is the uh, kind of the de facto measurement standing in digital advertising. And they got accreditation for a portion of the total audience measurement, uh, which is their digital and TV ratings. And uh, it's, it's a seal of approval for that's really important for Nielsen at a time where a lot of people have been, you know, speaking out against their product and saying it's not ready. So Nielsen is hoping that... Um, this is going to give some buyers confidence that uh, you know that that th these metrics are, are something that they can use, and these uh, this specific digital and TV ratings uh, portion that got the accreditation today. This refers, you know, some clients use this, and uh, it it's it's kind of for for live streaming on. Uh, on computer and, mo and desktop and mobile devices for shows that have the same ad load as what you're seeing on linear. And in those cases, then uh, th those, uh, those ratings can be included in the C3 and C7 metrics that are used to transact advertising. So it's, um, it's not all total audience measurement. It's a small portion of it. Nielsen is in the process of trying to get some of these other elements accredited. But uh, it, was a, it was a bit of good news for Nielsen in a winter that uh, they've been kind of uh, beat up a little bit. 
do they have any any rivals, any competitors that are rolling out a similar product? They have a lot of people who are trying to compete, especially now. You know, this this whole idea of total audience is kind of thrown the field wide open again. So you've got Comscore and Rentrack are trying to uh, come up with their own version. You have Group M, um, who is trying to come up with its own version. You have all of the networks really working on their own versions of data that they're trying to transact at least some advertising on. Um, Everybody agrees that there needs to be a a total audience measurement, something that that does tell you how many people are watching on all platforms because there isn't anything right now uh, that exists. So Nielsen still kind of has the inside track on this, but um, it's still possible if, if somebody else comes up with a system that everybody feels confident in, they could elbow Nielsen out of the way ultimately. This feels like such a nightmare time to be a media buyer or strategist, you know, that that how do you ever get any apples to apples numbers on figuring out where you're going to put client or report it all back to your client on, you know, how your different buys compared? Uh, Is there a lot of frustration in the industry right now? Uh, There is. And I think you saw one of the reasons that the upfront was so uh, lucrative for for networks last year is because you had so many brands who had moved uh, into digital who, because of you know the the uh, the fraud there and and the inability to really get a sense of who was actually watching, went back into linear because again, at least at this point, you have a better sense of of the scale of linear and uh, and digital is just a big question mark. So so brands you know desperately want somebody to figure this out. Um, and so far, you know we're still you know Nielsen is, Nielsen has the lead, but we're we're still waiting for uh, for every uh, everybody to be on the same page. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jason, for helping us uh, get caught up on that one. And definitely keep an eye on adweek.com for all Jason's coverage of ratings and of uh, Nielsen and all these emerging players. But now we're going to move to my favorite part of the week, uh, which is our ads worth watching. So each week we asked Tim, our creative editor, to uh, tell us two or three ads that are actually worth spending some time to check out this week. And uh, what have you got for us, Tim? Well, we have a few good ones this week. Uh, the first one I want to talk about just came out uh, this morning, uh, Tuesday morning, and it's the new Geico pre-roll campaign from the Martin Agency. Um, of course, a couple years ago, um, the Martin Agency created Unskippable, which was Geico's first big kind of innovative pre-roll campaign, which was such a success. We named it the ad camp- the best ad campaign of 2015, and it was a very funny campaign where they basically inverted commercials on YouTube and put the ending of the commercials at the beginning uh, and then they were sort of extended, you know, goofy extended uh, ads where the, the talent was all kind of frozen in time. And it turned out to be really, really popular. And so they, they repeated, uh, they did the second one, sort of the second installment of this campaign last year, which was called Fast Forward, where you could basically the, um, the ad skip to the end very quickly, which was kind of similar to the first one. But then the, the hook there was that uh, you could click on the ad and, and see what happened in the middle because the beginning and the end were didn't make a lot of sense together so that was pretty funny and then this time so this is uh the third installment of the campaign and it's called crushed and essentially the gag this time is that they're going to condense the ads for you uh the joke being that they physically condense the ads by crushing them um kind of like the star wars trash compactor so you're watching the ad and the left wall starts to move in i think the the uh, the voiceover says something like, "We've condensed this ad for you, so for your enjoyment." And it and the left uh, wall kind of comes in, and starts to destroy the set. And the talent's kind of like f- running around trying to get out of the way of the entire set's collapsing at once. And uh, the wall has this sort of giant Geico logo on it. So that's that's also been a, a something that these these ads have done well is just put the logo really front and center. So there's a bunch bunch of executions. Uh, there's a grocery store. There's a spa. There, there's a racquetball court, which is really funny. Uh, there's like a bagpipe shop. So you know, Martin Agency's <laughs> trademark uh, goofy humor um, for, for Geico is definitely front and center here. Um, yeah, I mean, they're just great. They're the ads are they're really dumb, really funny. And you know, as with the previous installations of this campaign, um, the ads kind of admit that you probably don't want to be watching them at all. But at the same time. Um, they'll probably sh- they'll probably get uh, a lot more views than than most pre-roll ads just be just by being so funny and uh, you know unusual and funny to look at. Let's listen to uh, let's listen to one of those and get get a sense of the feel. I'm sure you're going to be seeing quite a few of these on YouTube. 
The following ad is being condensed for your viewing convenience. Did I tell you? What's that? Switch to Geico, save the ton of money without insurance. That's cool. So I guess 15 minutes really could save you 15% or more. Awesome. Save yourself, buddy. Yeah, so it's just nice to see, you know, an advertiser that really tries to play with the format. Pre-roll ads, notoriously, you know, everybody hates them. No one wants to have to watch anything to get to the content that they that they really want to see. And so uh, I think this was, a you know, a pretty inspired and amusing follow-up to, uh, you know, some pretty celebrated campaigns of the past. Well, what else do you have for us this week? Uh, so I wanted to get away from Super Bowl, but I don't think we're quite there where we can completely get away from it. So the, another thing I wanted to mention was this Cards Against Humanity Super Bowl stunt. And, of course, everybody knows this card game, and, and, and they do such amusing um, hacking of marketing tropes and things like that. So anyway, we didn't know that Cards Against Humanity was running a Super Bowl commercial, and, in fact, they may not have. It's still kind of unclear. But what we do know is they posted a story to Medium, the website Medium, um, claiming to have run one and saying that it was a total disaster. So uh, in typical uh, subversive uh, Cards Against Humanity fashion, you can, you can find the ad on YouTube. It shows it's just 30 seconds of a potato sitting there with the word advertisement written on it. <laughs> and uh, the, story go, the story on Medium goes into all this detail about why the commercial didn't work, as if that weren't obvious. And that, uh, you know, it, it's this elaborate, almost surely fake story about how they, they claim to have hired and then fired Wyden and Kennedy f- to, make this com- to make this ad campaign for them. And basically, by the end, you, you, s- you pretty much realize that the whole thing is this, like, long extended joke about the idiocy of, of, uh, of the creation of Super Bowl commercials. So, I mean, it's worth a look. The ad is ridiculous. Um, but, you know, it's nice to see Cards Against Humanity kind of back in the, in the self-parody game you know, after their, they had the those anti-Trump billboards that obviously didn't work at all during the election, and so maybe who knows? Maybe they're addicted to failed advertising now. Um, but uh, the the me- the medium post is very fun read. I, I couldn't remember if we talked about this on the podcast about how they were advertising for a new CEO uh, because <laughs> because of all their failures. <laughs> they're like we t- we can't seem to do anything right, so we're yeah. We're and and, and uh, wasn't the job ad all about? Uh, re- references to Obama, like Obama yeah. should come. Like you have to be based in Chicago, you have to have executive experience. It was like a Craigslist ad, and it was clearly pointed at Obama, <laughs> at Obama yeah. which was pretty funny. <laughs> uh, I, I guess the one thing I wonder about Cards Against Humanity is: is it still growing? I mean, it's such a hyper-specific card game. It's fun, you know, the first few times you play it, but I just feel like kind of the world got its fill of that game, you know, two two years ago. Uh, but they they just keep staying in the in the cultural conversation. I, I, f- I feel like all, I think all four of us are parents, right? So maybe we don't wander into it. But are you guys seeing Steph, Jason? Are you guys seeing uh, Cards Against Humanity out in the wild? That's a good question. I you know I haven't heard reference to it recently, but I will say this morning, uh, all of my marketing friends were passing around this Medium post. So. Um, I, I, I think that they succeeded in injecting themselves back in the cultural conversation. And uh, like you guys said, the post is really funny. It's worth checking out. Um, when they go through and list all of the reasons why their ad failed, uh, they include things like, you know, we, we failed to appeal to young people. We didn't add music. We forgot to mention our product. <laughs> like, it's pretty great. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's funny because the product they're actually selling is so small compared to the, the issues they, they embrace in their, you know, fake marketing. I mean, this was a company that, you know, on, on Black Friday last year, um, I think they spent $100,000 like digging a giant hole in the middle of nowhere yes. in, in Illinois <laughs> for no reason. I mean, it's just they, they're so their, their humor is almost like performance art, you know, yeah, in, a lot, it, in uh, a lot of ways absurdist humor for sure i want to read there uh i found the the ceo ad uh, from craigslist and it says let's face it we have no idea what we're doing this year we wasted an enormous amount of money and time or money time and energy trying to get hillary clinton elected president and on black friday we dug a huge hole in the ground because we wanted to find out if it would be funny it's been a great run but now it's time for real adult leadership <laughs> and so then, <laughs> and then they describe their their perfect candidate and and it said uh at the end of all these bullet points it says the ideal candidate will be excited to travel for work and be a recipient of the nobel peace prize <laughs> <laughs> very very good uh all right so uh what else uh, do you have for us well so the last one is also a super bowl commercial this one definitely ran uh, it didn't run nationally though it ran regionally 
And it was this congratulatory ad um, that aired in New England uh, congratulating Tom Brady of, uh, after Sunday's pretty wild, insane, unbelievable victory by the Patriots. Uh, you know, Under Armour made a congratulatory ad, but I actually thought this one was better. And it was made by a company called Shields Healthcare Group, which is a regional uh, healthcare company based in the Boston area. And the story here is actually that the ad's been airing since October up here in, in New England. Uh, and it takes place at a Shields MRI clinic. And, and the doctor uh, calls Brady. Brady's there for an appointment. And, and the doctor says, Tom, it's time for your appointment. So he gets up. And uh, she tells him that he has to take all his jewelry off for, for this MRI. So he's got his four Super Bowl rings at the time, four Super Bowl rings on his on his fingers. And he goes, sure, I can do that in, in kind of an exaggerated way and starts taking them off. And one of them flashes and the, the people in the waiting room are all impressed. And then the doctor goes, in the original version, the doctor goes, is that all? And he goes, for now. So keep in mind, this, been, this ad's been running for like three months and it's on regularly. You know, I live in Maine and I, I see it regularly. And uh, at the time, they filmed when they filmed it, they filmed an alternate ending um, for if and when he did win number five. And of course, on Sunday, he did. And to their credit, Shields had this new ad ready to go uh, right after the game. They ran it. So uh, basically, the doctor says, is that all? And he goes, actually, no. And he reaches into his pocket, and he pulls out a number one. He goes, I got a, f a fifth one. This one's kind of new. And then she goes, wow, we're going to have to get you a bigger locker. And he goes, Roger that, which seemed to be a pretty blatant reference to Roger Goodell and the whole uh, deflate gate scandal and everything else. So I thought this was hilarious. Everyone, all my friends up here in, in Maine were passing it around, and, and uh, I thought it was one of the best. If well, I haven't seen a ton of the lo local ads that aired on the game, but uh, this one was pretty awesome. And the tr trivia also is that Bobby Farrelly directed this ad. Uh, apparently he's a big big Patriots fan and once he got wind that, that uh, Tom was, was filming this back in the fall he jumped on board that's uh, so one of the Farrelly brothers I assume it is one of the Farrelly brothers yeah who, gotcha. who I guess already knew Tom from uh, Stuck on You I think he directed and, and I think Brady had a cameo in that so they already knew each other uh, but it's pretty funny and, it, and it's almost done also and you know these regional healthcare ads are always so kind of unintentionally bad and what's funny about this one is it's also bad but it's almost you you have to assume it's intentionally bad because like bobby farrelly directed it so it's got cheesy music and it's just kind of on the border of a parody without really being a parody and then this tweak to it on sunday night i thought was perfect all right. Well, thank you, as always, for rounding up the ads worth watching. Uh, definitely check out adweek.com. Click on creativity or look for our Ad Freak blog where Tim keeps track of these day-to-day. -day. And uh, we're going to move on. The, this week we've got uh, kind of uh, going to wrap up Super Bowl, get it all out of our system with uh, one last big discussion of everything Super Bowl. So let's start with the TV angle. We've got Jason here. Uh, I think the ratings are always a fascinating story with Super Bowl. How did it go this year? Uh, well, it didn't go as well as you may have expected, given that this was the first Super, time, uh, Super Bowl ever to have overtime. Uh, it ended up that 111.3 million people watched the game on Fox, which was only good enough for fifth most watched Super Bowl of all time. The last time Fox had it three years ago, um, they actually, it's still the number two, uh, number two most watched of all time. So it didn't do as well as it did, as done in some previous years. It was even behind last year's Super Bowl on CBS, which is still number third of all time. Fox took a little longer than usual to put out a ratings release because they were trying to spin the numbers to make it look a little more positive. You know, one number they were trying to float was that uh, 172 million people watched it in total, which is technically true, but that's not what these ratings are. These ratings are our average audience. And uh, you know, they also tried to add in the, the, the digital number and the number of people who are watching it on Fox Deportes, which was their Spanish language network, and that pushed it up into the 113.7 million range, but it still wasn't enough to, uh, to challenge the record holder. Um, still a great Super Bowl, still will ultimately do more than two or three times as much as the second most watched kind of non-Super Bowl event this year. But, uh, but you know, there, I think Fox was, was hoping maybe for a little, a couple million more than they ended up getting. What was it? Was it 2015 that was number one of all time? Yeah, it was 2015, the NBC year, and that uh, that was 114.4 million. 
I mean, what, what accounted for that? What I, my memory has already been wiped. Well, it, you know, the interesting thing um, about this is I spoke to the head of Fox Sports a couple weeks ago. Uh, you know, even before the matchup had, had been determined, and and he was making the point to me uh, something he had he had discovered last time, uh, where uh, when Fox had this this game the last time, it was Seattle Seattle and Denver, and it was a blowout. It was a blowout almost from from you know ten minutes in. He, the next morning, said, oh, these ratings are going to be horrible. It turned out it was the most watched Super Bowl of all time at that time. And what he has uh, realized since then is that Super Bowl ratings seem to be determined more in advance by the matchup and whether there are stars or not. So if there had been, obviously, Tom Brady's a big star. Uh, New England is, is a huge team. If it had been New England Patriots and Dallas Cowboys, there probably would have been, just for that matchup alone, another six or seven million people who watched it. So the quality of the game, for whatever reason, on Super Bowl is less dependent um, or factors in less to what the ratings are ultimately. And more, it's really more about the, the early matchups and, and you know, who's, which stars are there and, and, and who audiences are kind of rooting for even before the game starts. Well, you mentioned that this was the first Super Bowl to go into overtime, uh, obviously tremendously dramatic, and that uh, led to a, a space to air, I believe, four ads. Um, I should have had the list in front of me, but I, I remember it was Hulu's ad for uh, uh, for Handmaid's Tale. Uh, and then uh, what else, uh, Tim uh, or Jason? Sprint, Sprint aired their ad again with the uh, guy pushing the car off the cliff. Yeah, And then Proactive, I think, ran a spot. Oh, yeah, with Olivia Munn. And uh, and Sophie, or SoFi, SoFi, sure yeah, yeah, yeah. So right. they, they and though and, and both the proactive and the SoFi spots were actually scheduled to run during the post game show, and then they ended up getting a second run uh, in, in overtime. So so Fox was was very smart. I think they they do this for all their sports. Is that even though there had never been a a uh, an overtime Super Bowl uh, before, they they sold ads kind of on that contingency. So if if there was going to be uh, overtime, uh, a handful of, of advertisers had made a commitment to to run those spots, and Fox was able to run four of them. And and uh, you know, it looks like they'll add they added about uh, around twenty million dollars to what was already a a half billion tally for Super Bowl ad revenue in a single day. Wow, wow. I mean, it's cool. Uh, it's 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 a great purchase, right, for for overtime because you know that. People are going to be wrapped viewers and watching. It's like it's by definition going to be a really. I mean, they couldn't be any closer of a game. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know always the the concern is if you buy in the fourth quarter is well, yes, if it's a close game, people are still going to be watching. But if it's a blowout, like this game looked like it was going to be, um, you know, early on, you don't have people there anymore. And and you know, Super Bowl ads are not sold against ratings guarantees. So you know, yeah, that money is you know you're not going to get. You're not going to get make goods back. You're not going to get money back, and you know that money is what it is. But certainly, to your point, overtime, uh, you probably have. You know, I would say aside from you know maybe the kickoff, you've got kind of the the most eyes on you that you'll have all night. Well, it was definitely a good Super Bowl for Lady Gaga. Uh, she had a pretty much a flawless performance, no real controversy, uh, but also had a, a really fantastic turnout. It was the second most watched halftime show uh, ever. And uh, for her, it was a big financial boost. She sold a, had a 1,000% increase, uh, according to a report in People citing Nielsen music numbers, a 1,000% increase in her music sales digitally, uh, going from about 15,000 digital album and song uh, purchases in a day uh, before the Super Bowl to uh, 150,000 uh, digital purchases the day, uh, the day after. So... Really a fantastic jump for her. Steph, you were in the uh, the Adweek War Room uh, watching this halftime show with our staff. Uh, I know several of them are big Lady Gaga fans. Uh, but uh, what was the reaction like to the show? I mean, I, everyone was, was genuinely uh, amazed and entertained, I would say. Um, you know, the I, I think pretty... Everyone was watching this, first of all, curious to see if she would make a political statement. And I think opening with kind of a mashup of patriotic songs, This Land Was Made For You And Me, and perhaps America the Beautiful, um, I think that that was a smart choice because you could choose to read into it what you wanted. You know, you could see it as a, uh, you know, as a, as a protest against, um, you know, some of the uh, quality issues we've been facing recently. Um, or you could see 
see it as, you know, patriotic and in, in supporting the country. So I think she hit the right note. People were really tuned in. People kept watching. Um, the drones were fascinating. I think everyone in the room here at Adweek was was really impressed with that. And I think that Intel scored a big win just by being part of her uh, halftime show at all, but doing it in such an interesting and innovative way. You had 300 drones um, as a backdrop to her show and uh, forming a, a kind of an image of the American flag in the sky. So that was pretty cool. Um, Gaga herself, I mean, she had some some really key moments that became instantly iconic, instantly gifable and memeable. Um, her mic drop was was pretty incredible. It was like less of a mic drop and more of like a she just like threw the mic to the ground, caught a football, and jumped off the stage. And I think everybody in the room died at that point. And pretty soon <laughs> after, everybody on Twitter died. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's one of those. There's a million ways that could have gone wrong. The fact that she pulled it off live is is pretty spectacular. I how did she catch? I, I really want to know what would have happened if she didn't catch the ball. Like, was somebody there to throw her a second ball? Or, I mean, I guess she's Gaga. Of course, she caught the ball. <laughs> I heard that uh, very uh, one portion of it was taped. That her coming in. Did anyone else hear that? Uh, yeah, I think the, the the part of her on the roof was actually pre-taped, uh, and that was because um, if there had been not great weather, um, I think it would have affected not only um, her ability to be up there, but also the control of the drones. So that portion, that also uh, answers the question of why uh, once she kind of, you know, we saw her jump into the stadium, there wasn't a shot immediately afterwards of seeing her down. That's because they were you know, doing a bit of a switch there. So that first part was, was pre-taped and the, the rest of it was live. Um, the other thing uh, I should mention about, um, about her performance is that, you know, she, like any uh, artist who performs at halftime, is not paid. Uh, the Super Bowl and the NFL cover your expenses and production costs, and that's it. Um, but what, you, what these artists use it for is, yes, she got that digital sales boost, but, but uh, Gaga, like Beyonce last year, then immediately after the Super Bowl was over, announced a world tour, and tickets are going to go on sale this week. So even though she's not really making any money from the Super Bowl, she stands to rake in, you know, her tour is probably going to rake in upwards of, of, you know, $100 million over the next year. So uh, it's a great it's a great springboard for, uh, for any, any artist who performs. Yeah, great I, ad for the tour. Yeah. I, I could be wrong. I feel like this was one of the only halftime shows in recent memory where it, it's just been one artist. And, you know, you didn't have the Bruno Mars appearance. You didn't have the Beyonce appearance and you, you didn't have MIA. And you know what I mean? It's like you that's kind of become a, a bit of a joke even with Super Bowl halftime is that it's this, you know, uh, Lewis Black has this whole sketch about, you know, how you, it's like Britney Spears and Aerosmith and like <laughs> Carlos Santana and every possible combination you can throw together to try to keep people happy. But Gaga really held it down as a, you know, not a solo act per se, but but I mean, she was. My kids still watch the Katy Perry halftime show from two years ago where, where Missy Elliott came out and, and um, Lenny Kravitz was also on that one. They constantly ask for, to see that. Oh, that's, that's funny. funny. Yeah. And Tim, I, I believe people reported that that's uh, the most viewed Super Bowl halftime show of all time. And Gaga came in second uh, yeah, right behind right. Katy Perry. You're correct. Thank you for the wow. fact check. It was okay. Katy Perry, not Beyonce. And, and in fact, uh, the the audience for the Super Bowl itself was higher than the average audience for the rest of the game. So this has been a trend in the last couple of years where, uh, you know, it used to be a couple decades ago, you would turn off the Super Bowl during halftime show. And now uh, that's when everybody kind of gravitates toward the set or whatever screen you're using to watch it to uh, to make sure you're there well let's talk about uh, one other thing we've already discussed a bit but we've covered it a little more since our, our special podcast on monday uh snickers so i'm just you know weirdly compelled and baffled by this snickers ad so uh, like most people <laughs> we were all kind of confused about what was happening thank god you can actually go back and rewatch it now which i did and so i guess the gag is supposed to be that uh the adam driver comes out and He's supposed to shoot everybody in the chest, but he's eating a Snicker bar or something. You know, he, he misses his cue. I mean, it's all very clearly fake. And then they put out their fake apology, and then they put out a fake video. Uh, so, so tell us about the follow-up video that they did, Tim. 
Yeah, so this was definitely one of the more ambitious uh, concepts for the for a Super Bowl commercial. I don't I don't think it worked really at all because I think people were just confused by it. Nobody really talked about this after the game because I think they were just you know it, it did not connect in the way that they had hoped. You know, and Snickers being you know pretty much a premier Super Bowl advertiser now. They had they had Willem Dafoe last year, the Danny Trejo, and the, the great Brady Bunch had the year before. And I think the problem really was that they had a couple of different concepts kind of battling each other out. You know, the whole the whole aspect of it being a live commercial is, is kind of enough of a concept, you know, and that's kind of sets the stage. And then the problem is they needed they had to use th- you know five or ten seconds of the ad at the beginning um, to 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 show you it was live. So first of all, they get a big word live on it. And then um, one of the actors like intentionally flubs his line, and then Adam Driver comes out and he mentions the score of the game to make sure you know it's live. And so by the time they actually get into the second concept, which is that all the actors are hungry and therefore they're not they're not doing it right, uh, it just was too much for to absorb, I think. Uh, but you know, Snickers stuck with it and they apologized on Twitter, which um, people were like, "Are they really apologizing? What is that?" And then they sent out a press release shortly after um, where they said, you know, hunger was the root cause of this. Adam Driver missed his mark. And I mean, it was just, uh, it was quite confusing. Uh, but then they, they sent out a second video sort of later on, on Monday morning uh, with Adam Driver apologizing for, the, for, for it being such a bad commercial. And I think this video kind of finally cleared things up because it was way more easy to absorb. He was just standing there giving his apology, and there's a guy walking around the set behind him with a fire extinguisher kind of putting, putting fires out, and every time, he, every time he squeezes the fire extinguisher, he distracts Adam Driver from giving his apology. So, and then there was, they even extended it further and they said, uh, we're going to give you a buy one, get one free coupon because our ad was so bad. And so, I mean, points to them for kind of sticking with their plan all along, but, um, you know, and we, we actually gave the ad a thumbs up during the game because I I do think that it's, that it's worth, you know, supporting companies that do try, you know, different and more difficult things during the Super Bowl. And so I, th- I think it was a you know worthy thing to try. I think it it it, w- it came off ironically as disastrously as as you know as they uh, pretended it was uh, in the game. So who knows? They'll probably go back to some you know a thirty second uh, comedy next year and uh, not go back to this idea. But I don't know. Yeah, strange thing. I, no one's no one's been talking about this week at all, which is kind of a shame. Well. Uh... Before we kind of round off, I guess one other one I would talk about in that same vein is the Hyundai uh, real-time ad. So real-time meaning that they recorded it during the Super Bowl. I think we talked about in the special podcast that it was about uh, going to a military base and having a 360-degree camera set up where uh, service people could uh, watch the Super Bowl with their loved ones. Uh, and we had a great piece on Adweek.com from Patrick Coffey kind of breaking down how the brand pulled this off and all the work that went into it. And I especially liked how happy they were with the overtime because, you know, at that point, any extra time <laughs> when you're trying to put together an entire lengthy ad during the Super Bowl, they were probably pretty stoked uh, to have a little extra time. And it also probably built up some momentum going into the post game uh, to keep people glued to the screen. So all in all, that that worked out really well. Uh, I believe Anosian was the agency uh, that that did that one, but a really fun read on kind of the complexity of pulling off something like that. And while Snickers, I mean, here we are talking about Snickers because it was such a a kind of bizarre and largely failed but fascinating uh, thing. I think Hyundai actually kind of did right by the idea of, of pulling off something live. Uh, Steph, what did, what did you think of that one? Well, I in general, I was impressed with how, um, how many risks Super Bowl advertisers seem to take this year. And whether it, you know, worked or didn't, I think you have to appreciate that they took a risk. Um, and I, I, I thought, too, of just the trend of these live musicals that we're seeing on networks that Jason's written a lot about. And so it almost seemed like these advertisers were taking a cue from, you know, from the recent popularity of those and, uh, and the drama that can come with something going live. Um, I think that this one was more successful than Snickers, certainly. I think I, I, I heard a lot of positive feedback about this one on social media. Um, with Snickers, interestingly enough, um, you know, we, we heard some people on social media uh, skeptical about the fact that it was really live. It was truly live, but I think it, you know, even that aspect of it wasn't clear, and a lot of people were suspicious. Uh, I had a really uh, funny moment with 
uh, Super Bowl kind of which in terms of which uh, spots actually stuck in people's memory or which ones got attention outside of our own kind of advertising journalism bubble. Uh, Reddit had a, a picture that kind of flew up to the top of the front page today. And it was a young girl's notes about her dad throughout the Super Bowl. She kept notes on what her dad was doing. So it's like, dad is screaming, dad is crying. You know, it's like you almost couldn't even tell which team he was for because it was open. It's like dad just made a maniacal laugh. And then at one point in the middle of all these notes about what her dad is doing, it just says like a timestamp, you know, 946, really weird ad. And then it just <laughs> goes back to like, dad is crying. And, um, and so every co- I clicked through and I was not disappointed. Every comment on Reddit was just like, what ad? What ad was that? And then everybody's like, and one person, it's maybe even a coworker of ours, but I won't out them. Somebody's like, oh, I had to take notes on which ads ran and win during the, the game. So it, here's my notes. And it was uh, it was basically the spot, the, the time slot that had uh, the it's a 10 hair care um, because uh, right. up till then everybody had been and who knows who knows maybe the you know time zones could have been off so the, I'm not saying that specific Reddit detective was right but everybody's like no I don't know man I think it's Mr Clean <laughs> and, like, and then a lot of people thought it was the uh, the Kristen Shaw uh, uh, T-Mobile ad uh, with one of one of the two uh, kind of BDSM ads uh, so <laughs> it was fun just seeing people if you just write weird weird Super Bowl ad and hearing what people think it was. It was some some fine detective work on Reddit. So. It's funny and telling that this year the description really weird ad could have applied to several. Yeah, I, I still I, I pictured uh, Mr. Clean right away just because I, I imagine that one's a pretty awkward one to watch with your parents. But same for, you know, some of that T-Mobile stuff, too. So, uh, all right. Well, uh, we I appreciate uh, the panel coming together again. Uh, we're all still kind of recovering from Super Bowl Sunday. But uh, all in all, it was a, it was a decent year. I mean, uh, Tim, I think we talked about this a little bit, but how would you rate the crop overall compared to some previous years? You know, I think at, on average they were pretty decent, but but there were very very few that really stood out as as spectacular. You know, none of these I don't think we're going to look back, you know, five years from now and say, wow, you know, like we do with some of the Chrysler stuff from four or five years ago, or you know, even like the Brady Bunch ad. I mean, I, I don't think there was, uh, you know, totally breakthrough advertising, but on the whole, I thought it was it was good. All right. Uh, don't forget, you can drop us a note at podcast at adweek.com. We love hearing from you. Uh, we've got uh, quite a few things coming up. We're going to be doing a special package on agencies of the future called Agencies 3.0. Uh, we've got our media agencies of the year uh, being announced, I believe, very soon uh, in the next week or two. Uh, and uh, we've got a new look for adweek.com. So if you haven't checked out our new website, it's about a little over a week old now. We're very happy with it. Uh, much bigger art, a lot easier to use. Uh, so uh, definitely check it out if you haven't and let us know what you think. Again, we're at podcast at adweek.com. Our theme music is by Home. Today's episode was produced by Christina Monlos and edited by Kevin Eck. Thank you, Christina. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, please take a moment, if you haven't, to leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews are very important to us and help new audiences discover the podcast. So thank you, and we will see you next week. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan.